0: Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, real quick, apparently there's a salvation out there that we don't know yet. So, let me tell you what, we usually think about salvation as just, you know, hey, I'm saved, God has saved me. I I want you to know this, uh, that in the Old Testament, uh, that the root word for salvation the root word for saved is yesh. And yesh means to make wide, to make roomy. We, we talked about that actually the first thing today in the psalm. Could it be that God could put us down into a wide place? Well, that's what salvation is. When we become saved, we're living very narrowly. But boy, he opens up our life. He opens up our potential. Uh, I've talked to some... We, we have a number of uh, former prison prisoners here at Spring. And I asked them one time, what is it that keeps a lot of prisoners from ever coming to know Jesus Christ and all his wideness and roominess and potential? He said, the fear that we're going to miss out on something. I'm thinking, I just think that's hilarious, really. I mean, I get it. Actually, I get it. Because that's why I didn't want to give my life fully to the Lord, even after I was saved. Fully? this entire sanctification, the fullness of the Spirit, why would I want that? Because if I get that, then all of a sudden, God decides everything for me. I decide nothing. I'm not so sure I trust him. I'm not so sure I trust the Lord to open up my life. I think he's going to narrow it. And I think he's going to narrow it in ways that I don't like. That's what keeps you from the fullness of the Spirit. That's what keeps you from entire salvation that's what keeps you from being all of jesus so there is a salvation that comes to us when we get saved and then it opens up even more when you say now i give everything to him and we think those are two distinct works there's a salvation there's an entire salvation and then we think it's not stopped then we think that your entire keeps getting bigger and then we think that when you get to heaven, it really unleashes and gets wide and roomy and hilarious. This is what I think. I don't know. This is what I think, though. C.S. Lewis tipped me off on this one time. He said, when the children, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote this thing called the Chronicles of Narnia. When the children begin experiencing the Messiah figure, the, this lion called Aslan, they, they get brought into all kinds of adventures and their world just opens up. In fact, a whole new world opens up to them. But then they die. And when they get to the land of the emperor beyond the sea, when they get to heaven, so-called, it's interesting because they start pursuing something out there. And they begin saying, further up and further in, further up and further in, further up, further in. Could it be that in heaven it just keeps getting bigger? For all... (laughs) Wouldn't that be hilarious? That for all eternity, our salvation just keeps getting bigger. That heaven isn't a static place. It just keeps getting more hilarious as time goes on. Well, I think that's what Peter's pointing to here is. Yeah, you know a salvation. We've been saved. But there's salvation at the revelation, at the coming of Christ, that's going to be bigger than what you know now. Look to that thing. Look to that. Have hope in that. And that's what those first several verses are about. And I just find them just wonderful because... They're going through persecution right now. It's tough in the Roman Empire. Peter is the leader of the band of 12, as you know. And so a lot of people look to him. Lead us, man. We need to hear from you. So he writes from Babylon. Now, we think Babylon's code for Rome. And Peter recognizes in Rome, it's bad. We got this emperor guy doesn't like us. But he senses it's going to get worse comes Nero. And Nero's going to light Christians on fire, literally, and burn them in the streets of Rome. Peter sees this unfolding, and he says, okay, as this is unfolding, I want you to know, first off, blessed be this God that brings us to a salvation. And by the way, there's a greater salvation coming than what you even know today. Therefore, look down at verse 13. It says, therefore... Now, you've heard it said before, if you ever see a therefore, find out what it's there for, okay? And we just went through what it's there for. Basically, praise and sustained consideration of this God of grace and salvation. And therefore, and these three exhortations. Now, the greatest of the exhortations we'll probably cover next week. That's going to be holy as I'm holy. But you know what I found out for myself? I get so excited about that verse. Be holy as I'm holy. I forget the first three verses or the first three exhortations. Because really, after this, therefore, the rest of the book is going to be exhortation and imperatives. This is how you can be all the people of God. You need to be because it's going to get really tough. You're thinking, well, man, it's already tough. How much tougher can it get? It's going to get tougher. And so knowing that this is what you need to know, all right? And here we go. The first thing he says is prepare your minds for actions uh, for action, then keep sober in spirit. Number 2, number 3, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number 1, prepare your minds for action. The Greek phrase here actually says this, with the waist of your mind being girded. <laughs> I love that because it's kind of like, I don't put that together. The The waste of your mind being girded. Uh, so this is what it is. See the, the guy with the robe on? He said, okay, prepare, just pretend like this guy's your mind. And uh, you got a robe on, and because all decent people would have a robe on. If you're a man, you're going to have a robe, going to cover your legs. But there's going to come some time during your week. During your month, maybe sometime today, when you know I got to get ready to run or I got to go fishing, I got to get out there in the water, get the boat in the water, you're going to have to do something that requires some action. And you can't just walk daintily. You're going to have to run. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to go, man, go. So uh, this is one one part of a four-part series teaching you how to gird your loins. I thought it might be interesting to put four boxes up there, but I decided not to do it. I decided just to let you know this guy's girding up his loins. Yeah, what what the, the world's girded up your loins mean? <laughs> Sounds kind of weird to me. This is what it is. You raise up your robe, and there was a way to do it. You tuck it in the back, and you bring around the parts. And if I could have shown you all four parts, and pretty much what you have is you're now in a like a men's swimsuit thing. All right, you you got some shorts on. In other words, your robe can become some pretty cool shorts. And why would you want to have shorts on? Because you've got to get ready to go, to run, to move, to act. And Peter, and everybody would have got that back then. No one would have had, well, what in the world is he saying? Everybody understood what he was saying. Peter's saying, hey, just like I always had to do when I went out fishing, I had to gird up my loins, get the boat out in the water, jump in the boat. I had to maneuver around in the boat. Just like that, just like all men do, you've got to do this with your mind. I, I love this. Because I'm going to tell you what we do a lot of the times. We'd say, it's a dangerous world out there. Make sure, therefore, you keep as safe as possible. Make sure whatever you do, find a hole to crawl into and hide every opportunity. Peter doesn't say it. He says, get ready for action. It's going to get dark. It's going to get hard. We've got to be ready for action. What kind of action? Now, that's interesting. What kind of action? Uh, One of the greatest books written in this last century was written by a guy I was in a discipleship group with, a guy named Robert Coleman. Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And it was really a book about discipleship. Everybody says it's a misnamed book, but it's basically how Jesus called 12 men to him and how he poured his life into these 12 guys. It's a great book. One of the greatest books written. In fact, Christianity Today says that it's, it's like in the top 20 of the top 100 books written in the entire century. And so they we read it. I, I make sure my students read it. But in there, there is a quote at the beginning of the book written by the guy that wrote the introduction. A very famous evangelical at the time named Paul Rees. Paul Rees put this quote in the first paragraph of his introduction to the master plan of evangelism. Philosophers have only interpreted the world differently. The point is, however, to change it. That quote is by Karl Marx, a communist. Now, Rees knew who Karl Marx was. He knew the damage Karl Marx had done to the world. Coleman knew who Karl Marx was. He knew the damage he had done to the world. But both of those guys also knew, even if it came from a thug, it's true. Because theologians and philosophers, we've only talked about the differences between us and them and them and us. The point, however, is not to think differently. The point is to do differently, to act differently, to make a difference in the world. And what Peter seems to be saying is, listen, we can't just sit around and have a different theology than the pagans. There's going to be hurting people out there. As this Roman emperor rides across the empire and makes us bleed, as you're bleeding, this is what you need to do. Find someone who's bleeding more than you are and go bless them. It happened to me the other day. This is easy to say when you're not hurting, and I'm not hurting. And honestly, I've hurt very little in my life. So it's easy for me to say this. But I saw someone the other day that's a friend of mine, great that belongs to a great ministry couple, doing tremendous things in the world. But she now is suffering, and she's in a wheelchair. And when I walked up to her, I said, how you doing? And there was no glow in her face. There was only not very good. Almost like she was mad at God. I'm here. I don't like it. I felt like the Lord said, tell her, Matt. Tell her your thing. But I couldn't do it. I walked away and I think I disobeyed the Lord in that moment. But this is what I think he wanted me to say. If you want to feel better, go find someone that's suffering more than you are. Put your hands on them and pray for their healing. And watch to see what he might not do in and through you. Now that's easy for me to say. I'm not hurting. But if anybody here today that is hurting, anybody here today that is suffering, one of the best things you can possibly do is gird up your mind for action. To get ready to go to say, all right, instead of saying, hey, I'm mad at God, or I don't like my situation, or grumble, 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 stop grumbling about your situation and start blessing other people and just take some oil around with you. Is it okay if I pray for your healing? And they're going to look at you and say, I oh, to pray for your healing. Well, maybe so, but I'm here first. I want to pray for your healing. And just watch to see what Jesus won't do through a mind girded for action. Thank you, Lord. What kind of action? Well, I like the kind of action in Matthew 4. Jesus calls 12 people to himself. It says the next thing he does before the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he begins marching out with these 12 to heal. And what does he heal? He heals people no one else wants to even touch. No one else even wants to look at these people. Paralytics and demoniacs, lepers and prostitutes. He says he moved out to these people and he loved them and he healed them and he touched them. So if you ever want to know, what's it mean? What kind of action? It's the kind of action we're asking you to sign up for out there. Move out to the untouchables of our culture here and say, I want to touch. I want to love. I want to heal. I want to be part of God's saving work in this community. If you uh, make disciples by sitting around and talking, don't be surprised if your disciples sit around and talk. And we do not want to be a sit around and talk people. We don't want to be, hey, oh, that was a good... By the way, it rarely is, so I get that. But I was, was a good sermon this morning and think, hey, we had a good Sunday. You don't have a good Sunday until you leave this place and go do something about it, whatever it is. That's a good Sunday. When I leave this place to go minister, that's a good Sunday. Because all of a sudden, we didn't gird up our minds to listen to a good sermon. We girded up our minds in order to act, to serve, to love, to heal. And that becomes what Peter says in our persecution, if you want to know, we did that the other day, didn't we? Hey, if you, are you worried about debt? Are you worried about money? Are you worried that you're behind the eight ball financially? Jesus says, I got an antidote. Go sell some possessions and give to the poor. And then watch me take care of your anxiety and worry. Could it be <laughs> that the best way for us to become financially solvent, that the first thing we do is to sell stuff we don't need so that the hungry, the poor, the thirsty can be sustained? That he'll take care of us as we take care of other people? Man, that's what the gospel is, y'all. This is the same thing. Listen, as you're getting ready to suffer, as Nero comes to your front door and knocks, just know this, the best thing you do is not to cower. The best thing to do is go find Someone who's hurting and love on them. That's how we're going to face persecution in the Roman Empire. That's the first thing. Gird up your minds for action. Number two, keep sober in spirit. Keep sober in spirit. I, I, I know about sobriety because that's all I've ever been. I, I've never had a drug. Never had a. Never had a drink of. Beer, really, I'm, just never. I, I'm not done that. And the Lord seems to be saying, yeah, Matt, that's really not what I'm talking about here. <laughs> I know you, that's what you want to think, that's what I'm talking about, but it ain't what I'm talking about because, Matt, there's some other issues you've got. When we talk about addiction, I, I got an uncle in, in New York, 50 years, he's been going twice a week to a 12-step program. And he knows if there's ever a week I decide I better not go, he's in trouble. He'll end up drunk and in a hospital. He said, I got to go to these meetings. That, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about sobriety. And by the way, we're starting a great program here. Uh, what's it called? Well, celebrate celebrate Cover, excuse me. And the celebrate cover says, let's get together and let's provide support for sobriety. Good, good, beautiful. But that's not what's being talked about here. I hope everybody here is sober and not on alcohol and not on drugs. I hope, I pray, and if you've got to struggle that way, there's, there's help. And not just drugs and alcohol, there's sex. Yeah. But I'm good because I don't have struggles with those things. But you move very far past that, we all get in trouble, don't we? Anybody have a food addiction? By the way, real quick, look down at your belt before you say, no, I don't. Anybody have a football addiction? Yeah, it started yesterday. How can I get so crazy about football for such a losing team? I mean, we've lost and lost and lost and lost. We have a losing record across hundred years of football. Why would I even care about the Kansas Jayhawks? Oh, but is there addiction there, Matt? That I need for you to deal with. Is there an addiction to any number of things? He says sobriety is basically this. I need, in an addicted world, I need some people to think clearly, with focus, and with purpose. And to think, football is not the most important thing in my life on a Saturday. Jesus is. To think, you know, this uh, the Super Bowl is not the most important day of January. Jesus is. I need for some people to think, you know, I do have a sex addiction problem, but... Jesus can take that sex addiction and make his his, and all of a sudden, I don't have to burn with lust. I can burn for Jesus. This is what Jesus can do. He says, I need some people sober-minded like that. I was kind of interested. I was looking at some possible addiction dynamics and, and ran across the other night something called sober companions. Sober companion. Never heard of it. It's a, it's this uh, a movie star has a has a, an addiction problem, or movie star has a uh, drug problem. The movie producer, or you know whoever the performer is, singer or whatever, the, the the people basically that own the label or own. own a, they will stick with that person to protect their investment. They'll stick with that person a sober companion. That is all day long. This sober companion never you never leave his sight. I'll call it his because I'll just let's just make it his right now. So if your guy has a problem with drugs, your sober companion he'll step off if you want some space, but he ain't going to step off so far where he can't see everything you're doing. So what does a sober companion look like? Well, in the morning you wake up, let's go meditate together. By the way, they even sleep in the same room just to make sure. But let's look at, let's watch, let's go meditate together, let's go to the 12-step program together. And by the way, we're going to work this afternoon, but even as you're working, you're not going to go into that trailer alone. I'm coming in with you, and here we go. That night, we're going to go have fun. We're going to party. But every time I see it, you're moving towards the liquor table. I'm coming with you. I'm getting in between you and the liquor table and going to introduce you to someone that ain't drinking. That's what I'm doing as your sober command. I thought, you know... I read that and I thought, those Hollywood wimps. (laughs) Then I thought of this word, Paraclete. It's Greek for the Holy Spirit. It's Greek for the one who is called to come along beside you, to help you through. I'm thinking, whoa, Friedemann, if you're walking in the Spirit, you have a paraclete. You have a sober companion. Every time you're about ready to get drunk on something you want to be getting drunk on, he's going to be there to nudge, to get in between you and the problem. He's going to be there ready to save you. Amen. Anybody ever see the, the Robe? You ever seen the movie The Robe or read the book The Robe? It used to be kind of popular. I think you're... Anyway, there's, it's a great. It's called about the robe of Jesus. What happened to the robe of Jesus? Uh, it, the whole movie kind of great that way. But in that movie, there's a guy named Marcellus, and Marcellus asks Justice about Jesus. They just they understand now he's ascended into heaven. So Marcellus says, "Where do you think he went?" And Justice, I'm just going to read this to you. Justice says, "I don't know, my friend. I don't know. I only know that he's alive." And I'm always expecting to see him. Sometimes I feel aware of him as if he were close by. He kind of smiled faintly, his eyes wet with tears. He says, you know, keep you honest. You have no temptation to cheat anyone or to lie to anyone or to hurt anyone when for all you know, Jesus is standing right there beside you. Whew, remarked Celso. I- I'm afraid... I feel very uncomfortable being perpetually watched by some kind of invisible spirit. Not if that presence helped you defend yourself against yourself, Marcellus. Yes, it's a great satisfaction having someone standing by to keep you at your best. Thank you, Lord. Paraclete, sober companion. Be sober In spirit. Because this world is going crazy. And you've got to make sure you don't go crazy with it. Then fix your hope completely on the grace of Jesus. Y'all remember the phrase out of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I used to go to a church in the inner city of Jackson. Mary and I were associate pastors there. And in this church, they used to say this, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but the hardest is hope. A few years ago, the Supreme Court okayed same-sex marriage. Remember it? Five to four vote. That was a tough day for me. Five to four vote, okayed same-sex marriage. The dissenting opinions warned that religious liberty... For those who stand on the side of the biblical definition of marriage, they're at risk. We're at risk. So I was talking this over with my friend Rick Boyd. He's a professor, New Testament professor at Wesleyan. I, I went in there and we started talking about this. And I mean, the conversation was just going down and down. You ever been in a conversation where you're trying to make it go down? You just want, you want to feel bad. You want to make sure there ain't no hope in this room when I leave. We're just going down and down. I, I'm a part of a lot of those discussions. I used to do a talk radio show. I tried to make sure every program ended in were, were shot out of the sky. We're dying. So I, I'm telling Rick Boyd, I'm saying, hey, this is horrible. What a bleak culture. We're all going to die. He says, Matt, you raised your kids for such a time as this. Yeah, 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 I said pitifully. <laughs> he, he, he introduced hope to the room. I didn't want that. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, who knows what you're going to do when a gun's right at your head or a family member's at risk or they want to burn down your church. Who knows what you're going to do then? Then I was kind of lurching around for a biblical illustration because he's a Bible guy. I thought he, you know he's going to do the Bible thing and introduce hope again. And so I said, yeah, by the way, remember Peter? Peter had three years with God. Three years with God, instructed by God, taught by God. He was readied by God. And he denied him, ran for his life. He was a coward. But then, said Rick, sort of staring at the ceiling, there are Daniel and his three friends. And I thought... Okay, hope, whatever. <laughs> and I left the room. I've never forgotten it. Y'all, that same Peter comes back later and says, be sober and fix your mind completely on grace. Because once I've done that, hey, Nero is no match for Jesus. We're going to be okay here. I say, okay, we're going to be okay here. What might that mean? Well, y'all, I don't know what it means Exactly. It doesn't mean that every one of us is going to be safe. I know that. It might mean some of us die. Some of us bleed. Some of us have to go through the trauma of suffering and persecution. I don't know if we're going to live long enough for it to really to happen to us, but it's going to come eventually. One of, some of my children, I think probably all of them, have read uh, Rosemary Sutcliffe. She, has, uh, she writes historical fiction for young adults, and my children just uh, love these. And one of her books was called The Lantern Bearers. It's set in Britain and they're fighting off the Saxons and they've, run, they've won a brief peace. And so Aquila asks Eugenius if he thinks this peace is going to last. For a while, says Eugenius, for a while? You don't sound overly hopeful, replies Aquila. Oh, I am. I'm hopeful in my own way. Most hopeful man alive. I believe that we shall hold off the barbarians for a while, maybe for a long while, though not forever. I think that sometimes we stand at sunset. It may be that night will close over us in the end. Night is going to close over us. But morning will come again. Morning always grows out of the darkness, though maybe not for the people who saw the sun go down. We are the lantern bearers, my friend, for us to keep something burning, to carry what light we can forward into the darkness and into the wind. all when there's no sun, it'll be up to us whether we're bleeding or dying, suffering or persecution, we've got to hold up the lantern. Peter writes from Babylon. Most people think that's Rome, just code for Rome. Peter knows something like Nero's coming, but Peter doesn't say, let's go find a hole to sink into. He says, get ready for action. Be sober-minded and get hopeful. Dark as it may get, The best is yet to come. If someone, if someone, maybe us, Dayspring, will hold up the lantern.